Welcome to the Messages of Positivity podcast, where we share great stories of overcoming challenges and messages you can use to live a positive life. Now, here's your host, Norman Morris. Hey, this is Norman Morris, and thanks for listening to the Messages of Positivity podcast. In this first episode, I share my own story of rising to prominence in the community to a devastating term of events that wrecked everything I had worked for and then the rebirth of my life, my family bonds, and my career. Some great lessons here that I hope can affect your life with messages of positivity. Yeah, so uh, a lot of people um, in Western North Carolina know me as an insurance guy. I, you know, cause I do a lot of volunteer work and I go, actually I go to two different churches. I go to one on Sunday. Well, before COVID hit, I did one on Sunday and one on Wednesday. Um, it's because the one on Sunday didn't offer Wednesday night services. So, um, but a lot of people know me in the community as well because I also worked in the school system. And so up from two th- from 19, Ooh, that's a long time ago. Well, for me, 1996 to 2012, I worked in the school system eight years as eight and a half years as a teacher and eight and a half years as a assistant principal. And so um, I was actually offered a job as an assistant principal at age 29, which at that time was the youngest one at the time to be an assistant principal. So I worked at one school and then I transferred at, at the end of that year to another school. I stayed there for eight years. And it was very successful. Um, the reason we were successful is because we had great teachers. Um, we, we, I, when I first went into the school system as assistant principal, I remember the principal of the school said, it's the administration versus the teachers. And I never really liked that idea. And so when I transferred to this other school in, two, in 2004, I was more of a team player. And then we had... Um, what was called the Freshman Academy in 2007, 2008. We were the first school system to create one in the area. Um, I've always been a believer that ninth graders just have a hard time in high school. They're still kind of that middle school, junior high mentality. And if you look at the dropout numbers in North Carolina, you can drop out of high school when you're 16 years old, which is pretty young. I think it's one of the youngest in this country. And so, in fact, North Carolina was the only school for the state at the time, you could be charged as an adult for 16 years old, which is insane, but that's a whole nother story. So we were looking at something to prevent the dropout rate because we, you know, I grew up in here in Satellite Beach and I think we had one student out of 406 that didn't graduate. And that's because he didn't pass a geometry test. It wasn't because he just left and didn't come back. I mean, it was it was pretty, you know, so for me, graduation was kind of like, no pun intended, but the norm. And so um, when I went to North Carolina, I hear stories of high schools having like 55, 60%, 70% graduation rate. And I just couldn't believe that. But then I started working in the school systems and that's kind of a true story. And so, you know, we needed to have something to help these kids graduate. We created what was called the Freshman Academy. And it was successful. I mean, it was beyond success. Um, you know, when I was working outside, when we had the 9 through 12, I went through years where I would have to long-term suspend students. And I'd have 10, 15, 20 kids I have to long-term suspend because of their beha- because of stuff they were doing. And my last year in the freshman academy, we had one student we had to long-term suspend. So that was a huge drop there. 
Um, and even though I wasn't a, around to see it, we we became the first school, traditional school, um, to have a graduate graduation rate of over 95%. Okay. Um, and I'll explain, and you'll find out just a little bit why I wasn't there to see that. But the third class to go through the freshman academy that I worked with had that rate. So we worked very well together, doing real well, very successful. Um, unfortunately, you know, I was divorced. Um, it was a pretty hostile divorce and, uh, had my, we had a son and unfortunately in 2012, um, my ex-wife accused me of child abuse against our son and I unfortunately was arrested and lost my job. And so within a month I went from being high school assistant principal of one of the biggest high schools in the area to not even, not even being able to get a job at Arby's as an assistant manager. So you talk about a humbling experience. And so I still had to work. Um, the only job I could find was something called manpower. Um, and if you don't know what manpower is, it's kind of like a day labor place. Um, so we actually, um, I was working at one of the retail stores, Belks. They were building a brand new one. And basically we just opened it up, took a big building, built up the shelves, built up the store, brought in the inventory. I will say that was actually a blessing in disguise because it made me realize how hard the people in the retail business actually work because I didn't realize, oh, it takes someone at five o'clock in the morning to get up, unload the truck that's been delivered that night, put them in the shelves, get everything ready. Because actually most of my job was done by 11 o'clock in the morning. And that's when a lot of people are waking up in the morning. So, um, had that through. Um, and of course I still had to wait for all this, the trial and court stuff to go through with my situation. And, um, so that was, I was charged in August of 2012. Uh, we had a court date in October of 2012. It was dismissed. Um, but then, um, dealing with vindictiveness of, of certain parties, they actually refiled the charges against me in December of 2012. So I was like, what's going on? I don't get this. This is crazy. But so this prolonged the procedure even more. So I was at that time, I was actually working at Waffle House, but then Waffle House found out I was being charged. So I was said, went from a training of a manager. So now I'm a night cook. So within a three month period I've, or four month period, I've gone from an assistant principal of a high school to working third shift at Waffle House at nighttime. So again, humbling experience, but again, you, you learn a lot of appreciation for what's going on for people and you appreciate more of what's happening in people's life. So had a trial in April of 2012 and in North Carolina, it's interesting. They do what's called a bench trial. So if it's a misdemeanor, which I never understood how child abuse could be a misdemeanor, but go figure that one. Um, so went in front of a judge, uh, and in, and in a bench trial in North Carolina, the district attorney's office does not have to present all the evidence. So they withheld certain evidence in the trial. And so I was found guilty, but then the judge said, well, I'm not going to punish you severely. I said, okay. So I had to go back for sentencing in July or yes, in July. So I went for sentencing and the judge said, well, I'm going to offer you prayer for judgment. And for people who don't know what that is, it's usually used for speeding tickets. Basically, if you don't get caught speeding again in three years, it wipes away. It doesn't show on your record or anything. So he said, I'm going to offer you a prayer for judgment. You don't get in trouble for three years. It won't show on your record. But I talked to other people. 
they said, you didn't do anything wrong. You need to fight this. So if you don't know your constitution, you have a right to have a jury by, by your peers. So we said, we would like to enact our constitutional right. So my attorney said, you know, if you get found guilty, you're, you're going to go to jail for 10 to 60 days. And I said, well, do you think I'm wrong? He goes, no, I think you, you didn't do anything wrong. I said, okay, well, let's do it. So we had a trial in August and it was a two day trial, August 5th and August 6th. And of course, this time they had to show all the evidence by law. They have to show the evidence. And if you ever watch my cousin, Vinny, you'll learn that fact that the prosecution has to show the defendant all the evidence they have. And so, um, and so when all this evidence came out, I was like, well, where was all this beforehand? And, you know, that's another story. And so two day trial, the jury went back for 15 minutes and come back. And my, my attorney looked at me and he goes, well, you're either really innocent or really guilty. I don't know which one, but we're going to find out in a few minutes. And I said, well, I, I hope it's really innocent. And you never know what's going to happen with the jury trial. You never know what's, what the people are going to decide. And uh, not only did they find me innocent, they had some choice words to describe my ex-wife and my son, which I wasn't, you know, my ex-wife, you know, I, you know, that's, it's her life. It's up there what she decides. But, you know, I, I love my son and I, you know, I hated to hear anything they were saying, you know, saying about him. Hey, Norman here. As you may know by now, I help other people live a more positive life after age 65 by helping them choose the right Medicare solutions for them. I can help guide you or your loved ones through the Medicare maze to ensure they are covered. Visit normanmorrisinsurance.com or call 828-400-1829. So, so of course now I'm free and you know, I've been exonerated, but you know, you're kind of like, well, what do I do with myself now? And so I was still working at Waffle House, but I was still angry because, you know, I was, you know, I had played the role of a good Christian. I had gone to church, done everything I was supposed to, taught Bible classes. And yet this all stuff is happening to me. And, you know, I was kind of, and I was in the belief that like, well, if, if I do all this stuff, God, why are you punishing me for this? Right. And that's an attitude a lot of Christians have is they believe that in order to, if you do good things, you're going to get rewarded all the time that nothing bad ever happens. Well, I'm just going to share with everybody bad things happen to good people. So that's just part of life. So, um, so then I was really angry and real bitter. And I was just, you know, I, I'm just going to stay at Waffle House for the rest of my life. You know, I don't care. I'll just do this. So people do it all the time. But then, but then I started seeing, you know, but then a year later, we went through the custody hearing with our son. The judge granted me custody back of our son. And so now it's like, oh, my life is finally getting some sense of normalcy. It's, you know, it was about two years that I didn't have custody of my son. Um, but now we're seeing on a regular basis. And a lot of people are like, well, <coughs> how can you trust him after everything that happened? Because he made some pretty wild accusations. And so that's something we had to work on. And we did. And I will say, actually, that my relationship with my son is stronger than it was before all this happened. So and which and a lot of people that see us together, they're always kind of like, wow, you all really went through all that. You know, you went through a point where you couldn't trust each other and be around each other. And now you're together and you're hanging out. I'm like, absolutely. So I was working at Waffle House. And then one night I had if you ever been to Waffle House, you know, you can see everyone cooking there. I'm sure you've been, 
I'm, um, I'm sure everyone's been in the Waffle House once or twice. So I've got all this meat cooking and it's busy, it's packed. And at one, two o'clock in the morning, there's really only one type of people that come in there and those are drunks. And where I was working, I mean, Canton, North Carolina, there's not a lot to do past nine o'clock at night. So a lot of people, 21, maybe even a little younger, a little tipsy, probably been out camping, drinking. All of a sudden I'm cooking packed house. And I hear, I hear, I'm mad at you. And it's one of our regulars. He's drunk. I turn, I'm like, I'm like, whatever. And this other guy, what are you mad at me for? And the other person, you called my sister a name. When did you call my, when did I call your sister a name? Two years ago. And so all of a sudden I look and the, one of the guys grabbed the broom from behind the jukebox and started chasing the other guy around the restaurant with the broom. So I say, I say, Mary, Autumn, they're the two waitresses. You know, watch the meat so it doesn't get burned. I walk over, I grab the guy with the broom, and I say, you know, his real, I don't know, you know, his real name's not John. I say, John, John, go home. You're drunk. Sober up tomorrow. Come back. Um, and so he tried to escape, and he's a little fella. And I know people can't see me, but I'm 6'5", 300 plus pounds. So I just bear hug him. I said, go home. He gets his girlfriend. She says, I'm sorry, Norm. So they all knew who I was because they'd been there before. They get him. She gets him in her car, drives home. He apologizes the next day. But I thought to myself, this is like working in a high school again. I said, I just got away from this. I said, I don't know if I really want to do this or not anymore. So I went online to look at different jobs. I had people actually had a school board member ask me to come back and work for the school system again. And I just, I wasn't going to do that. Um, I, I felt burned by that. And so I saw a job saying, you want to make $75,000 apply here. And I thought, Oh, that's interesting. Who was the one to make $75,000? Um, and I found I was selling insurance. And so I worked with this company and I'm not gonna mention their name. For, you'll see why. And so they paid for all my training, got my license, got trained, learned how to do everything. Um, worked with them for about a year. Um, and then actually one of my former parents came in and was working. And then he stayed there for about two months with his company and left. And I did, wasn't sure why, but then I found out there was a little bit of mischievous behavior with the company I was with. Um, and the final straw was we went to a lady's house who was 70 years old. Um, she had 120,000 in a safe deposit box cash. And she's one of these people that believe that you would save money from time. You know, she, there's a guy named Dave Ramsey and he believes in putting money in an envelope to save for, you know, beach trips or furniture, just big purchases and stuff. And so this lady says, yeah, I, I believe in the Dave Ramsey method. And, you know, I've got envelopes all over the house. And I said, really? And she goes, yeah. She goes, lift up that chair. So we lifted up this recliner and there was a, there was $500 in cash right there. And she goes, I'm saving it for a couch. And she goes, lift up that table. And it was $1,000 the, under the table. She goes, that's for our vacation. And I was like, huh? And so my boss at the time tried to convince her to go to the bank, write a cashier's check for 120000 to transfer for an annuity. And 
he was promising her X amount of dollars. And there's only two guarantees in life. And that's death and taxes. There was no guarantee that your money is going to grow on a regular basis. <clears throat> so I realized he was lying to her. Um, I said, I can't work for this guy anymore. What am I going to do? Well, then that parent called me and he said, hey, how would you like to come work for me? He goes, I always enjoyed working with you as, you know, my son's principal. You're a good guy. You seem sharp. Um, we're starting a new company. Um, there's a few unethical things about the company you're with now. I said, well, funny that you mentioned that. And so, you know, I believe um, God always puts, you know, does things for a reason. And so I think that was just perfect timing of that part. And we negotiated a salary and negotiated what I would do. And I was actually going to get more money because I found out this guy, you know, we had done an annuity a month ago and the gentleman, instead of doing a 50, 50 split only gave me a 30 split. He gave me 30%. He took 70. So he took home quite a bit of money and left me. I mean, I still was decent money, but I should have received 20% more than what I had what I received. And it's just because I didn't know any better. And here he was just taking advantage of someone that just didn't know any better. So now I'm underneath the tutelage of this parent. That's a good guy. His kids were fantastic in school. And with a company called Cornstone Senior Services, he introduced me to some people with the business. And I've been there since 2016 and they've had, you know, and so they had an office in the Asheville area. They combined offices in the Greenville area, the 2017, and the company was so impressed with what I was doing. They said, hey, why don't you just go on your own and get some other agents underneath you? And so now I have, you know, three agents underneath me now. And so that's been, you know, that's been a huge blessing. And I've had a lot of people look at me and they're like, you know, you hear you were this guy, you know, pretty much everything you wanted, you know, in 2012, you got knocked down and you, you had a choice of either just staying knocked down on the ground or just pick yourself up and redo it. And you always hear these stories of all these famous people who got fired from their job or, you know, didn't make the sports team or went bankrupt and they just basically had to start all over again. And, um, even in the Bible, there's a guy named Job. If you, if you haven't heard the story of Job, he's a guy who had everything, lost everything. And then in the end was blessed, you know, multiple times over. And so, you know, just, you know, so I've had people tell me they've been inspired by my story. In fact, my future mother-in-law, that said, it's one thing that she's most impressed about me is that she knows I went through all that and I didn't just stay down on the ground and cry or, or play the role of a victim. You know, I said, okay, something bad happened. It's time to pick yourself back up and redo your life again. And, um, and that's basically what it is. There's, I wish I, I forgot the name of the movie, but it's got George Clooney in it and he's an advisor. And he's talking to this guy getting fired. And, you know, the guy's, you know, George Clooney says, you know, why do you think people love athletes? And the guy says, I don't know, because they're dating all the lingerie models. And he goes, no, they love athletes because they're, they're living their dream. And he said, when you start working here, you weren't working here. Just, you know, you're a busboy. He goes, you're making good money because you're in a good restaurant. But your dream was to be a chef. He goes, now that you're being let go from this company, now is your opportunity to become a chef and start your own business. You've got the money now. You've got the resources. You've got the knowledge. Go back and do it. And that's kind of, you know, to me, now that I've gone through everything, and I've learned everything, 
you know, and you know, a lot of people have looked at my situation like, oh, you know, you really got you shafted. You should, you know, sue people. And you know, I'll be honest, I I went through, you know, I when everything got said and done, you know, I got a phone call from the Dr. Phil show. They asked me to come out there and do a story. Um, Steve Wilkos um, asked me to do a story on their show as well. And but then I thought, you know, I, yeah, I can be vengeful and I can, you know, bring all this negative attention, but what's the point of that? Um, and I will tell you that as I become more, as I focus more on the positive stuff and everything that's going on, that's great. You know, I'm not, because when you focus on anger and you focus on things that are negative, you tend to stay with that and you can't get your mind off of that. You're just, and that's all you focus on. And I mean, I went through days, even weeks where I was like, wow, that's all I thought about was just, how am I going to get revenge on these people? Or how am I going to get back at these people instead of, wow, I've got this opportunity. Let me better myself or let me help better other people's lives. And when I do the, when I work with the insurance and I talk to people about it, I, that's how I look at my, I'm looking at a way to better their lives, to put them in a better position financially, um, help them out and put them in a, in a position where they can help their family in the long run. Cause that's kind of what we're looking at is just helping families as well. And, and really with my son, I look at myself, I'm in a position now where I can help my son and help give him guidance. Um, you know, he's 20 years old now. We still have dinner once a week, which a lot of people who have kids that are grown up, they have a hard time seeing their children once a month. And so for my son, and he, he voluntarily comes to see me for dinner. Now, granted, he gets a free meal, um, but, you know, he doesn't have to do that. He's not in a position where he has to, but, you know, I was able to help guide him. You know, when he was 16, I told him he had to get a job and he got a job and he saw how important that was. You know, when he was 18, he was able to live on his own. And not many 18-year-olds can live on their own. I mean, he had a, situa he had a situation where he did something you shouldn't have when he was 18. Um, but, you know, he's able to learn from that. Um, I'll share it with you. Um, he, uh, he decided to go drinking. And he got pretty messed up drinking. But, you know, he learned from that. He was like, this is a bad thing. I will not do this anymore. Um, in fact, it was funny because... The day it happened was um, my fiance's birthday. She was up in North Carolina with me, and we were going to watch fireworks at a baseball game. And we had to go spend the evening with him to make sure that he was okay. So, but he laughs about it, um, and it was funny because I actually didn't know he was drunk um, until he told me. And then, of course, I played it off saying, "Yeah, I knew you were drunk." I mean, come on. Um, but, you know, he was confident enough to call me to, because he knew he was in a situation that needed help. And here he called it. You know, I couldn't, you know, I could only bail him out so much in regards to that because it was something he'd done to himself. But he learned from it. And he still talks to me from time to time asking for advice. And yeah. And so and what a great relationship. And, you know, now I'm with the community and I work volunteer with soup. I'm able to volunteer at soup kitchens and help them out and help with different churches. And we've. I've helped two churches, you know, help basically grow now. I've been part of that association. And, and these are churches that do a lot for the community. One of them does a Christmas program. They sponsor 40, 50 kids a year for Christmas. And I help sponsor several of them. And, and then another church, they run a food pantry. Um, they do a, every, every um, twice a week. And they do a, a meal five days a week and help help with that as well. And it's just, you know, so it's just been a blessing to be able to be a part of the community of that situation and just to see and be able to help people. You just have a, a, a good feeling about that and just able to, to realize you're helping make a difference in the world. And so now that I'm more on a 
thinking on a positive rather than trying to get revenge. Now I've got a mentality of how can I help other people? How can I, you know, make this a better society? How you handle a situation speaks volumes of your character. You know, like I said, I could have gone out and been angry and spouted all this stuff. And I, you know, I had people, you know, people were wanting to hear the story and I had attorneys looking to sue people and stuff like that. And I could have been a real, you know, jerk about everything. Or I could say, oh, well, here's a situation. You know, this has happened. I can handle it this way. I can be calm about it. You know, look, okay, well, look, look at it to be like a lesson. Or it may not necessarily a lesson, but just a way to let's, let's handle this or show appreciation. Things are going to happen to people. It doesn't matter. No matter how great of a person you are, bad things happen to everyone. But how you handle it is going to determine what kind of character you are. So I was in line the other day, you know, and everyone's six feet apart now and everything like that at the grocery store. And this guy didn't, I don't know if he just wasn't paying attention or all of a sudden he just cuts right in front of me and gets, starts putting his stuff on the conveyor belt. And someone looked at him and goes, well, I think that guy behind you was waiting for it. And he just kind of looked at me and he's like, wow, I'm really sorry. So he obviously he wasn't paying attention. And I was like, it's really not that big of a deal. I said, if I have to wait 30 seconds to get my groceries, I said, one, I'm actually kind of thankful. I'm just out of the house. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you just, it, and it's just fun. You know, you just, it's like when I, we were talking, someone was on Facebook the other day and they said, I see all these homeless people. What should I do for them when I see them when I'm driving and stuff? And I said, you know what I do? I said, I have a case of water in my car. I said, and I hand them a bottle of water. I said, I just opened the window, handed them. And I said, you know, it doesn't matter if it's hot or cold. Cause you know, if it's in my car, it's going to get hot. They're just kind of like, wow, thank you so much. So, you know, I'm not, you know, looking at them down or making derogatory comments or anything like that. And, and I gotta say, that's one thing with this whole situation it's really made me realize how lucky, you know, it's given me a much more appreciation of things. And it's also helped me not look down on people in regards to that. Um, and it just helped kind of open my eyes to the whole situation, you know, everything going on. And, and just be, there's a quote from Plato. And I, always, I quote this on my Facebook page when I do the videos. And it says, be kind for everyone's fighting a battle. And, you know, if you just kind of keep that in mind, I think when you treat people and talk to them, you'll be like a little bit more uh, compassionate and more understanding of their situation. So. Thanks for listening. And I hope that there was something in this podcast that touched you or inspired you to face adversity, never give up, and always live a positive life. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and more. And remember, make every day a great day or not. Choice is yours.